You're listening to DraftKings Network. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to check out the podcast JJ Redick did with Victor Wembenyama, the old man in the three podcast. It was a little mind blowing. My totem is it's something like it's something bigger than basketball. You know, it's it's just life. It's just accomplishing yourself inside this universe. You know, and when I need motivation, when I need energy, and I feel tired out, when I need a fight on the court, and it's it's hard, I always remember. I'm, I'm, I'm free in that universe. I, I do whatever I can and I know what I want to do and nothing's going to stop me from doing it. And I always got that in mind and it doesn't just stop to basketball. You know, it's, it's about life. I wish I was free in the universe. <laughs> I wish you I was are. free in the universe. Pretty deep stuff from Victor Wembanyama talking about the universe. Mm. JJ just basically had his mind blown just like everyone else. And it, I realized that's not the first time that we've heard about the universe with Victor Wembenyama. Do you guys remember what he said on draft lottery night? You had said the universe told me? Universe. The universe told me. Not to brag about it, but I knew what was going to happen. And uh, I actually recorded myself uh, saying it this morning, walking to practice. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the universe told me. Dreams, feelings, yeah. It happens sometimes, but it, it never, it, it, it's never wrong. It's always right. He basically revealed that he knew that the Spurs were going to win the pick. Well, so did we. Yeah. We were right on that. So, huh. Do we know the universe? I mean, do you know the universe? I absolutely know the universe. I attribute all the success in my life to the universe. I've long believed that the universe talks to me. I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in destiny, but I do believe the universe talks to me. Right. Because if you believe in fate and destiny, that means you don't believe in agency. You believe that like, oh, well, no matter what, it was going to happen. And that's not true. If I decide right now to walk out in the middle of Interstate 10, I'm going to get hit by a car and I'm going to get killed. That's not destiny or whatever. Like I had a choice in that. Right. But the universe can send you a message like, hey, man, I kind of think you shouldn't walk across Interstate 10. And it's up to me to either listen or not listen. The more specific examples that I always think about, and this is one that I've told to people before, is when I was in college, it would be like, hey, we're going out Friday night, get off of work early, make sure we're going to pregame at my place, and then we're going to go to this party at this club at this place. All right, cool. Then Friday rolls around. My boss makes me stay late. I got to stay late because I got to close. Guys, I'm going to be a little late. Might catch the end of the pregame. Might not. All right. Missed the pregame, but we get in the car and we're driving and there's traffic all the way there. I'm like, oh my God, it's bumper to bumper. Then finally we get there. There's a line wrapped around the corner. We want to wait in this line. What's the damage looking like at the door? Now they're charging $20 to get in. Ugh. Do I want to wait in this line and pay $20? But we passed some bar over there that wasn't the place that we said we we're going to go to, but it's all right. It'll do. And so then you think to yourself, no, wait a second. I planned all week about this. I'm going to wait in this line. I'm going to pay these $20. I'm going to go in there and go to this party. And so I'm like, you know what, man? Not worth it. Go to the other bar, have a couple of drinks, bullshit, shoot pool, go back home, go to sleep, wake up the next day. Man, did y'all go to the party? Man, we tried. It was crazy. Man. They shot it up. And I think to myself, of all the things that were happening, say, you don't want to go to this thing. Trust me. You want no parts of this, Dewey. And I could have been like, I feel like I really want a part of this. I'm going to wait in the sun. I'm going to pay this money. But I didn't because something told me 
And that something was the universe. So the universe has been a fixture in my life. And Victor Wembanyama says, the universe told me the Spurs are coming. I was like, yeah, I believe it, man. The universe told me too. Apparently we were on a group text. The three of us and Victor Wembanyama in the universe. Tom, that sounds like the origin story of the day that Amin's third eye opened for the very first time. Yeah. Damn right. And Victor Wembanyama, not only does he not have a strong French accent, which is very disappointing to me. You know what he sounds like, Maze? He sounds like he learned English from listening to British rap music. Uh, <laughs> Most guys that grew up overseas and don't have a thick accent or have a more fluid accent is because they watch a shit ton of American television and American movies. Yeah. He sounds like British rappers. Is that a red flag on the resume? On his draft stock? It's a red flag on my resume. Yes. Because I can't do my flawless Rudy Gobert impression. Yes. Wembenyama sounds... Like an American. So that's boring for me. But his third eye is wide open if he knew and we knew that he was headed to San Antonio. And I think we've never had a prospect with a third eye wide open like this before. I think a lot of people focus on his hands. You saw that picture of him holding the baseball before throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. People can't believe that his hands are that big. He's 7'5". He dwarfs David Robinson and Tim Duncan. He might be 7'8". We just don't know. We've been trying to track this ever since the Vegas showcase is how tall really is Victor Wembanyama. Mm -hmm. All that doesn't matter. You know why? Because his third eye is wide open. He's one of us. Welcome, Victor. Welcome. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstrow, and as always, I'm joined by the five-star Illuminati generals. That's Amin Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. We got lots to talk about this week with free agency, and so we're going to bring on our favorite truth teller who has his ear to the street, his eye wide open, his third eye. Mm -hmm. He basically broke the John Collins trade to Utah. So we're going to bring on Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports to be our truth teller this week. We're going to go in through all the free agency stuff, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, but first. You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El-Hassan. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I thought Brandon Miller was not going number two for the simple fact that he went public 
and described his workout with the Charlotte Hornets and described the moment he saw Michael Jordan airball a free throw. I really let Jordan get in your head, you know. It, it might make him feel good and make you feel bad. So uh, kind of talking trash back to him. I witnessed him airball a free throw, too. So Wait, so J always, Jordan airballed a yeah, free throw? I always, have that, I always have that up against him. How did he, was he having a, a free throw? How did that happen? Was he having a contest with him? Just old. Sim just been old. And I said, I might never see that guy again. I'm going the other way, Tom. He talked trash to Jordan. That got in his head. And we all know that Jordan was making the pick, even though he sold the team. So nothing like an earworm to stick with you in the war room on draft night. I don't think he's going to survive training camp if Michael Jordan's still around. Like he's just going to beat this dude up on the court and make his life a living hell. It's fine if he airballed a free throw. That's happened to the best of us. Even the GOAT. Will LeBron know airballed a free throw? LeBron James is definitely airballed a free throw. Excuse me, Paul George airballed a free throw? I actually don't uh, think LeBron is, you know, the GOAT of basketball. I think my GOAT of basketball is Paul George. And I always grew up watching him, so it's never just LeBron. I did notice that he had to clarify. Brandon Miller had to clarify. He said, wait, Paul George, he was my GOAT, not the GOAT. Important little preposition there. No, I'm sorry. Hey, what does GOAT stand for? Greatest of all time. If you say my greatest of all time, it means that's what you think is the greatest player of all time. Mm -hmm. Why don't you say my favorite? Yeah, favorite. These f***ing kids are so goddamn dumb. Just say, hey, that's my favorite player. Hey, by the way, did you hear what Shea Gilgis Alexander said? I know this is completely off topic, but I feel the need. I gotta say, Kobe is Michael Jordan just on a steroid. You know what, man? I mean, exhibit number 6,335 of just because you're great at playing basketball does not mean you actually know what the hell you're talking about. Did he just accuse? No, he's saying that, hey, take Michael Jordan, now make him better. It's Kobe Bryant. Wow. It's insanity. There is an insanity going on with people born after 1999. Mm. Yeah, Y2K really messed them all up, dude. It fried them all. It fried them all. We thought it would ruin the computers, nope. but it ruined the youth's brains. It ruined the greatest computer of all, the human mind. Yeah. That's what it did. Are you saying that they've created a multiverse? That this reality doesn't exist in their minds? It's just the 2K reality? Victor Weminyama is speaking to the universe and these other people, these other prospects. Victor seems to have somehow soared over all of that. He's taken one giant stride and stepped over this misinformation that seems to be coming out of people's mouths. I'm a little upset that Brandon Miller had to clarify. Why doesn't he just double down? Just be like, yeah, Paul George, he's the GOAT. I mean, he isn't reading Ethan Strauss. He's apologizing. He's not doubling down. Yeah. It's a mistake. The dad principle. It's a little young to be a dad, but it's true. It's never too young to be a dad. D-A-D-D. Did you see all the clips of the Charlotte bars that were watching the draft? Dude, not the Charlotte bars. This is the clip you need to see. What you want to do is you want to go to the Charlotte Hornets draft party. You know, they had a bunch of people at the arena watching the draft on the Jumbotron, and Commissioner Silver comes out and says, it was the second pick in the 2023 NBA draft. The Charlotte Hornets select Brandon Miller from the University of Alabama, and you see the mascot, Hugo. When I say defeated and dejected, <laughs> does not begin to explain. Mays, he's looking up at the board with his mascot face. And as soon as he hears Brandon Miller, he goes, palms to the sky, what are we doing? And then slumps his shoulders, so dejected, so depressed. And I said, that is the most genuine response 
ever in the history of mascots. It reminded me like in the movies when a little kid would walk up to a Mickey Mouse-like character and say, oh, Mickey, can I take a picture with you? And the guy inside the costume is like, beat it, kid. I'm on my smoke break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cousin Greg pukes from inside the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was phenomenal. Oh, I haven't seen this. I mean. I just watched the video again. <laughs> I love this dude, man. I want to give this guy a raise. You could tell his whole body language is completely defeated. Man, it's been a big month for mascots between Bernie getting knocked out by Conor McGregor and this dude. <laughs> They're just catching strays. Like this guy is genuinely upset that Scoot Henderson was not drafted and going to Charlotte. He had to have known cameras were going to be on him. That's how visceral this reaction was. When I saw that video... I thought to myself, is this going to be one of those ones that lives forever? When Chris Stapps was drafted by the Knicks, they kept playing, the kids being all upset. What if Scoot turns into a top 100 of all time player and Brandon Miller is Adam Morrison? Yeah. What does that look like? I mean, we talked about the number two curse. The curse of number two. I thought for sure our interview with Brandon Payne last week would move Scoot up. I thought we moved the line. I thought we convinced anyone who needed convincing in Charlotte that Scoot was the guy. There was some fun ping-ponging of the draft odds for this number two pick because obviously the universe told everybody who number one was going to be. There was some flip-flopping on the day of the draft, but no, it was Brandon Miller, the next Paul George, the next GOAT, headed to Charlotte to hang out with Tom. And Scoot's going to Portland. I was rooting for Scoot to be in Charlotte because I think he's he's the real deal. And getting an up-close-and-personal view of Scoot Anderson's rise in the NBA, that would have been pretty cool. But Brandon Miller, we could have seen this coming, the whole flip-flopping of the number two pick. If you guys remember, the Illuminarmy soldiers out there will remember. Last year, we did an interview with Ben Fox who told us about how the betting markets were all over the place based on intel from Woj. Woj was saying Paolo Bancaro actually not going to be the number one pick. It's going to be Jabari Smith. As the final draft boards get cemented the morning of the draft last year, and then this year, I'm going to stand up for Shams a little bit here. Shams said that Scoot Henderson was gaining momentum. Gaining momentum. Didn't mean that he was going number two. It just meant that he was gaining momentum. But Tom, if you're a better and you're reading way too much into this stuff and you're trying to parse language, they're never going to come outright and say Scoot is going number two. So gaining momentum. Oh, where does that rank in the Shams lexicon of terms for interest mm. how high is that but gaining momentum could be one percent chance to like a 10 percent chance that's a lot of momentum and that would be a 10x momentum gain you go from one percent chance to a 25 percent chance that's a lot of momentum that's a lot of mo and the counter was Woj tweeting the hornets all along were all in on brandon miller seemingly a shot at shams I'm looking at this and saying, if they were all in on Brandon Miller, why are they bringing Scoot Henderson to the Charlotte practice facility on Monday before the draft? That doesn't seem like an organization that was all in on a particular prospect. That seemed to me that they were genuinely trying to figure out who they were going to select, and it was coming down to the 11th hour. So I actually think that Shams, he might have been right here. You know what this is all about, right? What's that? The absolute meaningless of people telling me who's going to get drafted moments before they get drafted. Mm. It doesn't matter. We're all going to find out 
by midnight Eastern. We're all going to know. It's not news. You don't gain anything by knowing a little bit earlier than everybody else. You don't. Well, if you put money on it, you would gain some money. Yeah, if you bet on it, I mean, it does matter. It's a dumb thing to bet on. What? It's a dumb thing to bet on because it's not random occurrences, right? It's not like a coin flip or who's going to win the second quarter or points plus rebounds plus assists. These are all things that are yet to happen that are really not under anyone's purview or control. It's either going to happen or not going to happen, right? When you talk about what people are going to do decision-wise, yeah, I cannot imagine why anyone would think that's a good bet. I just can't. And if you lost your money on this, guess what? You're a dumbass. Mm. Just like Shea Gilgis Alexander. Speaking of dumbasses, there's one man who stole draft night away from Victor Weminyama because that was a foregone conclusion. We all know he was going to San Antonio. There was a new star born and his name is Grady Dick. Oh boy. He captured Fat Joe's fancy, that's for sure. As a Knicks fan, I'm sure everybody, I like Dick from Kansas. Yeah, Grady right. Dick. What player do you like most that's been drafted tonight? Anybody stand in your mind? Is it Wembenyama? I tell you the truth. Uh, I can't go against Wembenyama. He is what he is. Right. But I tell you, I like Dick from Kansas. Brady. I love not including the first name. Shades of Spike Lee, years and years ago, commenting on the Zach Randolph trade to the Knicks. I like the trade. I like Zach. Like Fred, like Dick, you know, the, the pick with Wilson. Draft Day Dick. What is it about Draft Day Dick that people find so tantalizing? Irresistible. They can't say no. They can't get away from it. They can't clarify. They need to let us all know. They like Dick. Yeah. My jersey's in the mail. I don't know about you guys. Toronto Dick. I like Dick from Kansas. The suit was terrible, but it was eye-popping. There's that. It got attention. It's all from Kansas. Dorothy has her little slippers. I got my Dorothy suit. Then there's the TikTok videos that were released, the TikTok supercuts. TikTok. The man is a dancing machine. He first caught my attention during the NCAA tournament when I said, huh, there's really a 6'8 string bean on Kansas named Grady Dick. This is really going to happen. And now he's in Toronto and he's going to bless us all for years to come. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. Is he a good dancer or is he just a willing? He's getting an A for effort. That's for sure. Oh, there you go. The commitment is impressive. So let me ask this. <laughs> if this were cinephobe. Oh, he got golden dumpster for draft night. Absolutely. Victor Wembanyama, his American accent gets the Lewis Pinnock. Ass off is the Hornets mascot. Yep. Ass on. Probably Brandon Miller saying that Paul George is his goat. And I think we covered all the awards right there. Five horsemen, dick. Dick, yeah. I probably should have said this in the Brandon Miller part. But you know who Brandon Miller reminds me of? Not Paul George? Mario Hazonia. Oh, Mario Hazonia. Okay. Mario Hazonia, who famously on draft day came in talking the most shit. The most shit. Making him instantly Zach Harper's favorite draft prospect. I have to remind the world of the Mario Hazonia phenomenon. Mario Hazonia, if you don't remember, was a top five pick in 2015. He had quotes like, respect? No, I never had respect to anybody on a basketball court. <laughs> I heard about if they smell blood, you get eaten. I'm not like that. I don't care. Whether it's a vet or a young player standing in front of me, I always have the same goal. I want to run over everybody. Talked to Zach the other day. He says he still believes in Mario Hazonia. 
Speaking of Zach Harper, I think they designed Grady Dick in a lab to piss off Zach Harper. He's so upset by this man, which means that we're really rooting for his career to continue for a long, long time. What is it about Grady Dick that Zach hates? Everything. This is from The Bounce, the athletic newsletter written by Zach Harper after the draft about Grady Dick's outfit. He wore a fruit roll-up themed strawberry colored blazer that was bedazzled in sequins. And if that wasn't bad enough, his turtleneck underneath matched the blazer's color. It was alarming and upsetting. Anybody saying otherwise, or even calls it acceptable, is an enemy of the state, the people, and overall culture. We're supposed to be living in a society. I was decently high on Grady as a prospect prior to this outfit. Notice how he's not calling him Dick. I like Dick from Kansas. Now I'm unsure we can justify the Raptors direction. Imagine when Drake gets his hands on him. It'll be true chaos. <laughs> nope. Zach, chaos has already arrived, my friend. Also, imagine when Drake gets his hands on, on Dick. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> this is the horniest episode of Basketball Illuminati we've ever done. Wow. Dick season has just begun. Last Mario has on your coat for you. It was asked earlier <laughs> in 2015 if he went to go see Lionel Messi play for FC Barcelona because his own played for Barcelona as well. And his response was, let Messi come to see me. Oof. Smart. I've missed the last five minutes because I had to tend to something, a little powder outage here. It was just a lot of dick. I was just wondering, how much dick are we consuming here? We did a lot of dick talk. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. We did a considerable amount of dick talk. We also did Mario Hazonia talk. Wow. I'm so upset I missed some Mario Hazonia talk. What are we talking about Super Mario for? How Brandon Miller reminds me of him. I like the cross-racial comp. Way to go, I mean. Well, I mean, I guess maybe there's some basketball similarity, but I meant <laughs> in terms of shit talking on draft day to a point where it's like you've now boxed yourself in into one of two things. Either you're going to be amazing or you're going to be the biggest bust ever. You either have to be Anthony Edwards or Mario Hazonia. There is no in-between. Bust, huh? Okay. That's plenty of dick talk. We covered the draft thoroughly. There's nothing else you need to know about. Enough dick. But we do have a very active trade season, a very exciting free agency period looming, and there's no one better to talk about this stuff than our return truth teller, Jake Fisher, coming up after the break. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. It keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. truth. 
from Yahoo Sports, Jake Fisher, joining the program here. Welcome to the Illuminati for the third time. Is this the third appearance? At least third. Might be fourth. If it's my third, it's my third time opening my third eye. So here you go. Yes. There it is. Did you break the John Collins trade? I wish I was out earlier in front of it than I actually was, but there were some complications in the final 100% confirmation process that I was not thrilled about. Let's just say that. But, you know, we live to fight another day. Because you had the Hawks jazz re-engaging on trade talks with John Collins like the week before in your column. I did. And then Monday, you tweeted out at 144 Eastern. I was away from my phone at that point, And I was wondering... Did you think that you had it, that you were breaking the news? When you got it, were you like, no one else is going to get this, I've got this? Or were you feeling like everyone else is typing just as I am on my phone and getting this out? I'm definitely never thinking no one else has this. That's just not how this works. If there's ever an avenue, I think, to be out in front, like the Jordan Poole thing last Thursday, I had heard nothing about Jordan Poole. And then one o'clock, if memory serves correctly, I got a text from someone saying like, the lawyer's about to do something. So I texted a couple of people and I knew it was pool for Chris Paul. I didn't really get like clearance from anyone intimately involved confirming things that I could say pool for Chris Paul. So I just put out the Jordan pool thing, even though like I knew that it was pool for Chris Paul, you know, cause that was one where I was like, I know the deal. It'd be nice to get a win. Let's just fire this into the ether. The Collins thing, I knew on Friday morning that both Utah and Atlanta left the draft thinking that they'd be able to come back to this trade. It was probably going to get done like pretty early Monday. So when I woke up, that was kind of the first thing I started to chase down. And I did think, oh, maybe I'll get ahead of this one here. But, you know, it's a crowded marketplace to be fully out in front of all that stuff by a mile. So as you've been writing, Jake, the big theme this this offseason so far is the lack of first rounders going back and forth is one thing. But what you're pointing out is teams are offloading money as a response to the CBA, which, by the way, I checked in yesterday, still not with teams yet. Mm -mm. The actual CBA has not been delivered to teams. Yeah, no way. It's pretty wild. No (laughs) way. Come on, man. (laughs) What? I've been cautioned to not blow up. Apparently, this is like the league. It's their minions who are working on formalizing all the language and whatnot. And that's a hard job. I was told to give them some slack. Yeah. That any team's cap strategist complaining needs to relax. But it does sound kind of nuts that we're 72 hours away and they don't have the actual rules that they're going to be playing this game with. It's kind of insane. Need to relax. Kind of makes sense, though, because it sounds like they're making it bigger than it is. Perhaps they're afraid of this second apron without knowing the exact details of the CBA. They do have a term sheet, which has been obtained by Yahoo Sports that gives you all the (laughs) groundwork. But I mean, there was someone I was talking to at the union recently who was saying all this stuff and owners being afraid of the second tax apron is like such a cop out for owners to just snap their fingers and force teams to offload salary. Because on average, only three teams annually ever cross the second apron. Mendoza line that didn't exist previously, but like that number that they put that second apron at obviously didn't come from nowhere. There was some calculations involved and all that type of stuff. So like it's this big thing that everyone's afraid of that no one really ever crosses anyway. So who's to say like if it actually becomes this thing that jails people and puts the handcuffs on them from further activity, a means kind of picking up what I'm dropping on. Nate Duncan tweeted that yesterday. It's like when they first did the repeater tax thing, 
everyone freaked out. And it's like, wait, hold on. How many of you guys are actually eligible to be in a repeater tax scenario? And the reality is almost none of them. Like you said, two to three teams were in that threshold, but it provides a very nice alibi mm -hmm. to an owner who doesn't want to spend. You say, oh my God, the second apron. Mm -hmm. My first apron is dirty and now I have to get a second. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't afford it. And so fans were like, yeah, man, we had to give up John Collins because of that second apron. Rudy Gay in a second round pick. What are you going to do? And that's the part that really hurt my feelings. It was like, yeah, I get it. John Collins is not the perfect player, but he's got some marketable NBA skills. He's got a contract that in today's salary cap environment isn't insane, right? I agree. And there's only three years on the deal. And he's 25. He's so young. You can tell me, hey, we had to get rid of this because of the money. You can't tell me I got to walk away with a 17-year vet and a second-round pick. That's not real. If I were the Hawks, I would have rather tried to get Chris Paul and something if that were the case. I get it. John Collins has been the poster child for can't get trade. Him and Miles Turner. DeAndre Egan is making a very strong push to be in this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Miles Turner and John Collins, the Thelma and Louise of not getting traded right now. He's off the cliff. Maybe DeAndre Ayton's in that chair instead. But yeah. how surprised were you that literally it was just give it away? It's a great question. You know, when the draft lottery order falls on that Tuesday night and Dallas did keep their number 10 pick, the immediate word was Mavericks looking to trade down or looking to trade this pick, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of trading down was interesting to me as opposed to just trading it out because you could pick up a player in theory. What they ended up doing was offloading Davis Bertans and then they create space to bring on Rashawn home. So it kind of worked like that. But the first actual trade concept I'd heard about was this Atlanta number 15 pick and John Collins for number 10 and Davis Bertans, which made a lot of sense to me for Dallas. I'm a fan of John Collins relative to what the narrative is about him and what, everything we were just talking about. But the Mavericks told me from the jump and other teams like Utah that the Hawks did contact were saying that the Hawks right now, like in the early stretch of this pre-draft cycle, they think they can use John Collins to move up. But in reality, they might have to move down in order to offload him. So I was pretty convinced that if he did get moved in this transaction window, it was going to be of a salary dump type of persuasion as opposed to them like using him to get better. When your guy's been on the block for so long, and he clearly has interest in moving elsewhere. You clearly have interest in moving him elsewhere. Your leverage is completely sapped at that point, too. What are other teams' views of the Atlanta Hawks front office, which is decidedly very inexperienced? They're objectively inexperienced. I think that goes without saying. Right. We're going to see. I mean, right now, the Hawks have had talks and conversations and whatever synonym you want to use with the entire league, it sounds like, you know, with Hunter and Capella, in addition to John Collins, there was some early DeJounte Murray smoke. I mean, there's just a lot of different outgoing and ingoing calls that have happened with that Hawks front office where it's been kind of difficult to get a read on what their order of operations exactly is. So I think once this dust settles, kind of similar to the Wizards where the early returns of what Michael Winger did with the Wizards, you know, rebuild or tear down, people were kind of killing Washington, right? Now, all of a sudden, the dust clears. You've got Jordan Poole. You've got Tyus Jones. You've got some draft capital. 
I think some people around the league are at least like, okay, like they had a shit hand and like they made some decent moves. They're kind of sitting exactly where they could have if they best optimize this because people were doubting Chris Paul would have any retrade value after they got him back and they flipped him for Jordan Poole and a future first round pick. Who knows if that conveys in 2030, but Poole at least has some type of bounce back opportunity there. So to bring it back to Atlanta, if they're able to make some type of dramatic change to get this situation in a real Eastern Conference contending picture here. By the end of this, I'm sure people will step back and, you know, applaud and give them their due. But offloading John Collins and offloading DeAndre Hunter and also pursuing Pascal Siakam, all those things aren't exactly congruent with each other. So every single team has so many balls in the air. Like I had an agent I just talked to before we got on this call here. He told me that one team he knows offered his clients something that they've offered five other players. Who's to say exactly how all these dominoes will fall once the dust settles and July 6th is here and the moratorium ends. So I want to reserve judgment, but I do think people are kind of raising an eyebrow wondering what their ultimate goal is because that's been hard to figure out right now. Jake, as you have your third eye hat on from the Basketball Illuminati merch store, big appreciation for you doing that on the program. And I know you wear it constantly, so it's not like you put it on just for this program. What is your sense on the Aaron Goodwin, Damian Lillard meeting with Joe Cronin and the Blazers? What was the purpose of that meeting? And do you think that there was any fire with the smoke about will they draft Scoot or will they flip the number three pick? Will they try to go get Draymond Green? There's lots of rumors swirling around the Blazers situation, but we kind of feel like the John Collins trade might be the appetizer to a big mega deal surrounding Damian Lillard or... Is this another saga that is going to drag out until the trade deadline? My read on the Portland Dame situation, and I've said this a couple appearances, I'm probably going to keep saying this until it's resolved, is that the Blazers are handling this quite similarly to how Brooklyn handled Kevin Durant's trade request a year ago, like an hour before free agency began. They're very different in that Dame has not requested a trade at this juncture, to my knowledge. But the Blazers are kind of going about this from the same vantage point that Brooklyn did in that even if you are teetering on the edge of pulling that trigger and requesting out, we're going to take the rest of this offseason, all of free agency, whatever other trade opportunities present themselves once the market really opens on Friday at 6 p.m. to upgrade this roster and prove to you that this is still a place where you can compete for a title. Does that mean like Kevin Durant, maybe even sooner than Kevin Durant, Dame will still decide at a certain point, I want out of here for sure. But for now in the interim, I think this meeting was kind of to like fully get on that page that this is what our plan is. We looked at number three trade opportunities to kind of get to that portion of your question, Tom, where when they talked with the Clippers about Paul George, to my knowledge, nothing ever got super serious there. I don't think, and I know the Blazers wanted to make a big offer for Bam. I haven't circled back there if they ever actually did. That seemed kind of like a counter strike of like, oh, you think you can get Dame for Tyler Hero and two picks? Well, we think we can get Bam for the number three pick and whatever. I don't know exactly what their next one, two, three steps are going to be outside of re-signing Jeremy Grant. I think it's a little early. The Draymond thing, I'm not buying a viability there by pretty consistent accounting. It seems like Draymond's going to be heading back to Golden State on a three-year deal of some regard. There's Sacramento looming. Jake, I was wondering, like, when Damian Lillard is in that meeting, does he throw out something so preposterous that they can't meet it, so that will be the pretext to a trade demand? Is like, if you guys get Draymond Green in here, 
I'll stay. <laughs> but there's no way, like, cap-wise, that they can really pull that off with Jeremy Grant as Sam Amick reporting at The Athletic. It just feels like if that was kind of a demand or at least one of the things that he wants to see from this organization and they can't meet it, that is the step, the logical step of like, all right, well, if they couldn't meet my demand here, then they're not proving to me that they want to legitimately go for a championship title and bring in the kind of veterans and the defensive guys that we need to get to that next level. So how much of that is buying the sky? It would be great to have Draymond on this team. He fits perfectly of what we need. Leader, defensively, he's that kind of big distributor that they never really have had. They try to make it work with Nurk. That hasn't, I mean, he's not Draymond. So it just seems like to me that it'd be a nice strategy to be like, hey, this is what I want. And if you guys don't meet that list of demands, then you know what? We're going to have another conversation. I haven't talked to anyone who's in the meeting yet, to be clear. So I don't want to mislead our, our listeners that I've got the transcripts of that dialogue. But yeah, I think what I would expect to occur based off of what I know of the history there, Dame has repeatedly brought lists of players that he would like the Blazers to go get. Mm. Dating back to the 2021 trade deadline, Aaron Gordon was someone that when Gordon got traded to Denver, he was absolutely someone that Portland was calling Orlando about that Dame was pushing for, you know, Mikael Bridges, his name has been out there plenty. Jalen Brown's been a name in the past. Like when, that 2021 trade deadline when Boston, if I remember correctly, that was the season where they were just like a seven seed and it was kind of a season from hell. Got knocked out in the first round. Yeah. Before they were the 11 seed in January of 22, that then all of a sudden has, I was going to say vermaculous, remarkable <laughs> turnaround that went to the finals. Like there was all this real speculation about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum getting broken up. Then that Dame was keeping an eye on. So yeah, he's, clearly given not marching orders. He hasn't pounded the table and said, get me these guys, but he's given strong suggestions in the past of players that he would like. And Draymond's been on that list for sure. So I would expect that type of thing would have happened. And I would expect Portland also kind of outlaying here are options because every single front office right now is going about, they all work differently, but they're all doing something along the lines of like a tier structure of this is what our primary targets are. These are our secondary targets. Like Dallas, for example, obviously looking at Kyrie Irving. If you don't think the Mavericks have some type of backup plan at point guard if he leaves, their Mavericks are obviously doing that. So Portland definitely has some type of order of operations that they're preparing to go for. Jeremy Grant being re-signed is absolutely number one. But with like cap mechanics, I'm sure that can be like held off of officially being signed to work some cap stuff. I'm sure that was being communicated to Dame too about like the timing of all these things, right? That's very important to be able to re-sign your own guys and go over the cap and stuff like that. I'm sure the specific order and the dominoes and the sequence of how these things can go down, I'm sure that was discussed in that type of environment. Jake, you mentioned the Celtics a little bit ago and one of the people who's for whatever unknown reason this season fell out of favor in Boston was Grant Williams. Mm -hmm. And now with this Porzingis deal, because again of the cap mechanics, it looks like Grant's going to be the odd man out and will not be returning to Boston. What are the most likely destinations and what kind of money are we talking about for Grant Williams? Right now, I'm kind of looking at Grant as someone who might get squeezed by this market, unfortunately. This is kind of a theme from my article today at Yahoo, where the forward market is pretty robust right now. You've got Indiana, who's been in dire need of a starting power forward for like five years at this point. And they've been 
I know running internal lists of everyone from Tobias Harris and Kyle Kuzma, and they were right at the front of the line of people who were going to throw Miles Bridges a contract last year before all of his off-court stuff developed, like literally the night before free agency. So like, if they go with any other person, if they sign Harrison Barnes from Sacramento, which that's been kind of the loudest Pacers free agent rumor I've heard in the last couple of days being that he's got the strong connection with Tyrese Halliburton from their time there. Rick Carlisle coached him at Dallas. That takes a spot off the board for Grant in theory. Detroit is another team that gets linked to all these wings and forwards. The Cam Johnson stuff's popping up left and right right now. Maybe that's just some agenting to try to elicit a bigger offer from what Brooklyn's willing to do. They're linked to Max Struess and Dante DiVincenzo and Grant as well. Like the one guy on a restricted scenario there, he would have to potentially throw an offer sheet at might square some teams away from other options. So then Orlando is another team to look at. I've heard Dallas too. It's just going to be a matter of all these teams are looking at that position. They've got their rankings. Like we just talked about one through whatever, of who they're trying to go and fill that hole. And at a certain point, someone's going to be left holding the bag where like the most glaring example right now off the top of my head is Dennis Schroeder a couple years ago. Remember how he, he was having this big offer from the Lakers and he turned it down waiting to get into free agency and just like the way the point guard market folded or unfolded, excuse me, his options just dried up and he ended up taking like the biannual exception or something with Boston, like a $5.7 million number like that. I'm a little worried for Grant that he could be that guy just based off of, there's only so many landing spots for all these players. What's your sense as someone who covered the Philadelphia 76ers intently and wrote a book about tanking? I did. Jake, what's your feeling about James Harden and the chances that he returns to Philadelphia oh. or goes back to Houston? That was your Philly question. I thought you were going to ask, what are the chances of Tobias Harris going for yeah. Jared <laughs> Allen, Evan Mobley, and a draft pick? That's my favorite rumor of the fall season. Why is Daryl Morey interested in one-upping the Minnesota Timberwolves by getting three <laughs> bigger, better centers that are more expensive on the same court. <laughs> What's crazy is like the Wolves brought back Nas Reed. Yes. The Jazz bring in John Collins. The Cavs, I was told, I wrote today, were like a Nas Reed suitor. The big man's back. Yeah. Playing seven-footers as a small forward like KG was doing back in 2004. Seven-footers, man. The big man's not dying. Is this a Jokic reaction? Yeah. Maybe. I have wondered, and I thought about this at the finals, like Thomas Bryant, people kind of clown Denver a little bit. Like they traded three second round picks basically, or Bones Highland, whatever, you know, how you want to look at it to get this guy. And he just didn't play for them. I thought to myself, well, one guy, the Lakers would have had guard Jokic that was on their bench. Exactly. Get him off the board. I've been waiting to see if there's this big, we have to get the Kembe Matumbo to go look at Shaq to bring <laughs> us back to Philly. But yeah, with the Sixers, the word is pretty strong that the Rockets have at least started to move on from Harden stuff. I don't think James Harden and his camp want that to be on the radar of Philadelphia, but I just think it is what it is at this point. The Fred Van Vliet noise is just so loud, and there's been too much talk of Harden going back on like a two or three year deal to Philly. Tobias stuff, there's a lot of smoke there that I don't know is ever really real. I mean, he's definitely has teams who have called and are interested like Indiana and Cleveland and Detroit. They're very real teams with interest in him, but the cap number is just crazy. And now that he's an expiring in this new CBA, we we're talking about landscape. It's got a little bit more of a value for Philly, I think. And he's also a big locker room guy. Tobias is 
so well regarded around the league every single spot he's been in even though he might be a little disenchanted by being the fourth banana and his father and agent terrell harris definitely views him as someone who should be a much higher usage player he's an assassin right what he called him an assassin yeah <laughs> i think tobias and philly both would be cool with him back around and being a fixture of that locker room yeah can't believe we've gone this long and we haven't talked about the lakers <laughs> Austin Reeves, I saw that you had in your story, the thought is somewhere around the $100 million mark for Austin Reeves as far as his market value out there. Is there any chance the Lakers let him walk? And what are their plans outside of keeping Austin Reeves in terms of free agency? Because if you remember, they did all these moves with an eye of staying still flexible for this offseason. If Austin Reeves is not a member of the Lakers next season, I'd be pretty surprised. They've sent out every signal that they're going to match the offer or any offer sheet that he gets, even if it's up to that $100 million number that, that you talked about. Mm -hmm. I am skeptical that he's going to get it, being that I think the Lakers have been pretty intentional in suggesting they'll match any offer to kind of scare away any potential bidder. Because if Austin Reeves doesn't get an offer sheet, He's pretty much guaranteed to get the four years, 51-ish million from the Lakers, that maximum he can get as a Gilbert Arenas rule player. So, I mean, it's a $50 million difference. Obviously, Austin Reeves would be hoping to find another suitor. And if he can't, it'll be a $50 million loss in one angle. Or you could look at it as like him and his people literally pointed at the Lakers on the map and said, we want to go there. That's our best opportunity for future growth and rewards and for an undrafted kid out of Arkansas to sign a four-year $50 million contract as a second deal off of a rookie scale minimum. That's a huge win too. So I'm expecting he's back at the Lakers, probably at that number, but we'll see. You wrote in one of your pieces about how the San Antonio Spurs were looking at Jordan Poole at one point, or at least made contact about Jordan Poole before he was dealt over to Washington. Victor Wembanyama, you are the biggest Victor Wembanyama stan we've ever heard from. You came onto the podcast and talked about his hands. Yeah. And immediately when he started using his hands at the media availabilities at the draft, I received a text message from you being like, yo, check out these hands. I was like, yeah, they're very big. And then you're like, no, look at his hands. He's, he uses his hands to speak in a way we've never seen before. He's, he's the number one pick in every year because of the way he uses his hands. Yeah. That's the one thing. It's the one thing. <laughs> it's the one thing we also talked about earlier about him talking to the universe and being one with the universe and having all that. So he has his third eye open. Not many prospects coming into the league have two eyes open. He has three eyes open. So what's the latest on your read on Victor Wembenyama in the whole like media car wash that he's done over the past week. What's your sense? I don't know what sense of, I'm just asking what's your sense of Victor Wembanyama? Right now, I'm really curious what San Antonio does to support him roster wise. Start off with that Jordan Poole thing. Are they going to throw a guard like Austin Reeves a lot of money just to get like a real pick and roll savant floor general type to pair with him? The word right now is pretty consistent. They want to get a five in there to play next to him, save him from like the banging against five men. So like Nas Reed was definitely a, a target of theirs too. We'll see what happens next in that regard. He'll play in summer league, which is exciting. I got to stop talking about that. But <laughs> in terms of like my overall sense on this guy, I mean, the universe thing was so amazing for an 18 year old to say, let alone for, for someone to say in a language that, that was not natural to them. You know what I mean? Like for him to be so insightful 
I'm just so taken by how grounded he is while understanding that he is a superstar at the same time. You know what I mean? That's kind of been the secret sauce attributed to Giannis and Steph Curry and Tim Duncan, the actual franchise guys who have been able to uplift an organization for a decade. So that type of stuff going on between the years is what excites me about him just as much as the physical tools and the talent. It's really amazing. Like on court, off court, Brandon Miller versus Victor Wembanyama, the Hornets losing the number one pick and landing at number two. To me, we talked about it earlier, but it's more the Scoot versus Brandon Miller because Scoot to me has a lot of those things as well. Yeah, it's just he's not seven five and he doesn't have a not French accent, but also not an American accent. And he doesn't talk with his hands at an A plus level, which <laughs> is what Jake Fisher is watching. Can I say one thing about the Scoot Brandon stuff? Uh huh. There definitely was word. Thursday morning, I got a text from Houston and Portland had been checking in with me throughout the draft about what Charlotte trying to do here. And there was definitely a late rumbling, let's say, sent from Charlotte out to other actors in the NBA world that like we're still considering Scoot here. I do think that was a last ditch effort to try to get Portland to trade up from three to two to take Scoot. I Mm. think that's where all this came from. I don't think this was some betting market conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. I think the Hornets tried to get a little savvy. And as I tweeted out, as I wrote in my book that Tom mentioned, not to be a shill, that Mitch Kupchak back in 2015, when he was the GM of the Lakers, had the number two pick, D'Angelo Russell and Jalil Okafor were their two top choices. And they refused to tell two pretty powerful agents, Aaron Mintz at CAA for D'Angelo Russell and Bill Duffy, now at WME, what you look for, they just refused to tell either side what they were going to do. And I believe the Hornets did not tell Brandon Miller or Scoot until like right on the clock that they were going either direction to continue that misdirect, mystery, whatever you call it. So I think it was a concerted effort by the Hornets to try to drum up some trade interest there. Jake, what's the piece that you wanted to put in your article in print, but you'd like to share with us on Illuminati? <laughs> oh, yes. My favorite. That You might not want to put pen to paper, but what about decibels into the ether? Words to the universe. You can ask questions here. You don't have to say, hey, keep an eye on so-and-so. You can just ask the question. Hey, I wonder what's going to happen, uh, you know, such and such. The question I'll ask is, you know, there's been so much Zach Levine talk. There's been a lot of Paul George talk. Ooh. I'm just wondering, you know, Nas Reed's now back in Minnesota. I don't think the Wolves have a goal of doing anything else drastic to their roster. But between now and the trade deadline, if we get a larger sample size of this cat, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards experiment, whatever, and it's just not going hot, not reaching the upward ceiling that the Timberwolves traded five first round picks and whatever to go get Rudy. I'm just wondering if the dream that many teams have of the next all-star, you know, if it's not Dame, if it's not so-and-so, I'm wondering if Carl Anthony Towns does become that name sometime between now and February, whatever, 2024, when the deadline is. That's just something that some people around the league have posited to me ever since the nods. Cause it's a lot of money. They're paying like $500 million, I think to three centers over the next three years or something like that. It's just going to make anyone fretting about the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum numbers blush a little bit, I think. (laughs) So the question you're asking is, what's happening in Minnesota? I kind of like Cat for Dame. What's happening in Minnesota? Yeah, Cat for Dame is interesting. I liked the idea of uh, Cat for DeJounte Murray being that I know DeJounte was another name that 
the Timberwolves were looking at before they pulled the Rudy Gobert trade. The Wolves were looking at guards or centers. They were looking at either end of the lineup and they went with the center. So I just thought about a Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns pairing. <laughs> the defensive stuff. You know what, man? Tim Connolly, if you can get that one taken care of, you got an executive of the year award vote from me, sir. Because, <laughs> geez, man, like when you have inexperienced front offices, you're targeted, man. Mm-hmm. They will shoot you with a million of these awful deals just to test your fortitude and also like, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. I had a front row seat to this in 2008 when we were a luxury tax team and we were desperate to get under the tax because our owner was on our ass about this. And Steve Kerr, in his first official move as general manager, trades Kurt Thomas and two first round picks to Oklahoma City for nothing. And Sam Presti then took Kurt Thomas and flipped him for another, I think, yep. either one or two first-round picks in San Antonio. He got four first-round picks just for the temporary use of his cap space. And the reason why was because Steve didn't know that you could tell your owner, okay, I got it. We don't have to do this right now, though. Steve was under so much pressure He thought this was the only thing and they had to get it done or else. And so there's almost a predatory element to this where you're looking for those who are over leveraged either by their owners, by their payroll or simply by, hey, our team's not good enough. We got to do something. Yeah. And they will abuse, basically. I don't know exactly what happened, but the Pacers clearly did enough to threaten the Wizards that their guy Bilal Koulibaly at number eight wasn't going to be there anymore. You know, they were talking with other teams, I think Utah about trading up to seven, or maybe they even threatened to take it from themselves. But like the word got around the league Thursday afternoon that the Wizards wanted Bilal Koulibaly at number eight. And sure enough, the Pacers, one slot ahead of them, they pulled two future second round picks from the Wizards just to have them move up one more slot. Maybe that was a rookie mistake by Washington. So it goes. That's the game. I can't believe Amin called Danny Ainge a predator. It's rude. Apex Predator. <laughs> Last question for me was going to be about Kyrie. Scale of 1 to 100. Gut feeling. He does not return to Dallas. Where are you scoring that? 1 to 100? 1 to 10. 3 out of 10. It'd be a 0 if it wasn't Kyrie Irving. But the fact that there's never an outcome you can rule out for him. Yeah. I don't know where the other landing spots are. You know, if Philly's getting Harden back. If Houston's moving forward with Fred Van Vliet. If the Lakers don't have any real sign and trade opportunity with Dallas because they'll refuse to do business there, I'm just struggling to see another outcome. I mean, the Mavericks definitely are prepared for him to come back. I mean, the whole little Derek Lively jersey number thing I thought was interesting that he took Kyrie's number. And Mm. don't worry, Kyrie will be taking 11 if he's back. Like that type of stuff (laughs) was just kind of silly to me. So anything could happen with him. But I think the Mavericks have done a pretty good job so far of moving with their plan of we need more wings and we need more actual playable bigs with this guard tandem that we've got. Do you think if he comes back, it will be at a discount or he'll be getting closer to the full max that he wants? I'd be surprised if he got the full four-year max, but if there's like bonuses in there that could get him up to that number, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised because Mavericks and everyone in the NBA, they really value Kyrie's talent. That's for sure. Everyone agrees he's a maximum level talent player. We do too here. 
Yeah. John Hollinger had this great line in his boards article that I read yesterday. Injuries, inconsistencies, and inoculations have been oh. the biggest issues of Kyrie Irving being on the court the last couple of years. Three eyes? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Three eyes. There you go. Wow. John Hollinger. <laughs> Salute to you, sir. <laughs> and on that note, Jake... Thank you for joining us. For sure, guys. You can listen to him and Dan Devine on the Ball Don't Lie podcast at Yahoo Sports. Check out his latest article that dropped on Tuesday ahead of free agency with all the rumblings that you need. There's so much intel from just about every team. 2023 NBA free agency with John Collins trade forwards dominating early discussions. Jake, thanks for coming on the program and keeping your third eye open, man. Thank you, guys. Always appreciate it. See you at Summer League, Jake, yeah. where Victor Wimanyama is going to play, air quotes, <laughs> oh, San Antonio. Like, we haven't seen your playbook before. It's, he's going to play the first game. He's going to maybe play the half of the second game and then shut it down. That guy's not playing past Monday. I would agree. I would agree. I don't know anything about the Spurs plans for Victor Wimanyama. I want to be clear. I haven't said anything publicly. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Guys, I just want to extend an invitation to the next truth teller on the program. Who's that? Ice Cube. Oh. Oh, O'Shea. Yeah. O'Shea Senior. Oh, I'm with it, man. He's been on the set at ESPN. We've done a couple things with him, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, with Ice Cube and he's promoting the big three. He was on Levitar too, like not too long ago. I was, I interviewed him with Dan. He keeps talking about this like Illuminati group that he calls the club. The club. Won't let him in, won't let big three in. And what they don't realize is he doesn't want to be a part of their club and that makes them mad. That's right. Mm. And you know what, Cube? Same note too. That's how we do around here, man. We anger the establishment because we don't want to be establishment. That's right. He says the mainstream media doesn't want big three on their platforms. We want big three. We want you, Cube. Come on to the Basketball Illuminati podcast. Talk about the mainstream media and all the establishment that has been keeping those gates closed for the big three. I want to talk big three. I told them last time, I said, hey, man, like the first one I ever went to was first year and it was in L.A. And I was like, I don't really get it because like the crowd was really quiet and it was just it looked like a bad pickup game. But then I went the second year in Dallas. It blew my mind because the number of people who came out because clearly they had like very fond memories of these players and wanted to see them and support them. And, and that's when I realized, man, this thing is a real thing that has a place. It's not a gimmick. It's something that has value for a basketball loving public that doesn't have a lot of basketball in the summertime. So Cube, come on over to Illuminati. <laughs>